never been to Disneyland, so I don't know how it really compares, but for me, going to Costco is, is quite an enjoyable event. I love to uh, walk the aisles and see what they have, and usually it's something that I should not buy, but I'm really tempted to buy it, so sometimes I do. But I love being there because it's just an escape for me in some ways from like the rest of my, my daily routines. This particular time that I was at Costco, which wasn't too long ago, uh, one of the things that you notice is that sometimes uh, when the weather's not great, especially or if like there's a lot of people there, if you go to the one that's down on Maryvale, people park in an area you're not supposed to park. Well, I was one of those people that was parking in the area I wasn't supposed to park. Now, I have good reason I needed to get to Costco. So, and like many others who were doing the same thing, who didn't really go to the pet store but went to Costco, uh, I took my purchase, I went back to my vehicle, I put it in my vehicle, and I noticed that there was a cart in the space next to mine from Costco. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be a nice person, and I am going to take that cart with my cart and put it in that cart corral so that somebody who is not supposed to be parking there can park there later. So I take the cart, and I'm walking by, and it takes a while because, you know, you're not in the right parking spot, so there's fewer cart places to put, put places to put your cart. And as I'm walking, uh, there was another person who was putting their, or, their stuff out of their cart into their vehicle, closed their trunk, and shoved their cart towards me. And I thought, that's weird. And he's like, can you put it back too? And I said, oh, I'm not the cart person. I'm just trying to put my cart back. And then they got into their car and left. And this cart was in the middle of the road of Costco parking because it's so big. And I thought, well, I guess I got to put it back then. So I did. And one of those things that moments in time that make me go, what was that person doing that was so important that they couldn't take 30 seconds to walk their cart to the cart corral? Why was their life so important that somebody else should do it for them? Sometimes I have those thoughts, and usually they're not very nice thoughts. I don't know if you ever have those kinds of thoughts. Sometimes it's when you're driving on a highway and somebody is, and you're going a decent speed. Like, we're not speeding, we're just 10 over, right? So you're in the right lane, you're doing the right thing, and somebody just comes up right behind you and just swerves around you, and you're like, why did they need to do that? Or they weave in and out in traffic. Or maybe it's when you're at the grocery store, and you're patiently waiting in line, and sometimes it's busy at the grocery store. We all know what it's like. And somebody very impatiently behind you is switching lanes over and over again. Or maybe that's you. Sometimes I do that, i got to be honest. Because you're thinking, this one will go faster. And then you see that the one you were originally in is done, and you're like, oh. Sometimes we have those moments ourselves where we go, well, my time is really important, so I need to get through this quickly. And if I'm honest with myself, my time isn't really all that important. But some people's time is. When those moments happen, when those moments, especially when it's either someone else is doing it and it's affecting me in some way, I like to remind myself of a biblical passage. It's a biblical passage that, that comes to the story of Jesus, and it's an important moment. It's an important moment where he helps his followers to reevaluate their perspective on what a life of being Jesus-centered is all about. And it comes near the end of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 20, there's this interesting story of a mother who interferes on behalf of her children. 
If you have a mother or if you are a mother, this is one of those moments where the kids are like, oh, mom, please don't do this. But you do or they do. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 says this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So context-wise, once something's happening here that's really important, one thing is she's recognizing Jesus to be king. A king would have someone on their right and their left. Typically, the right would be the second most important person, and then the left would be the next most important person. She, in her wisdom, is recognizing that Jesus is a big deal. Jesus is king. What she's not recognizing is what she's really asking about. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. As he speaks of the cup they are going to drink, he speaks of what we're going to do in celebrating communion later. The idea that the cup of suffering of Jesus, which happens just before Jesus explains what's going to happen to him, we, he's saying, are going to drink this cup. We here are going to celebrate Jesus' sacrifice and reflect on it by drinking a little cup of juice. In his context, he's saying, you're going to die just like me. That's what's going to happen. So yeah, you better be ready to drink that cup. When the ten, so the other ten, heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. There's a word there that gets used twice, and it's translated different both times it gets used, and that word is dulo, or dulos. And that word gets translated to servant or slave, and so sometimes that word can give us an adverse reaction, and understandably so, when we think about what slavery has looked like in the last 500 years, and how wrong it is. But the term contextually, as Jesus is using it, is speaking about somebody who serves a master. So it could be someone who is like an employee to a master. Not so much what we think of in the context of slavery, which we acknowledge is evil and wrong. Unfortunately, the passages like this were misused in history. But the intent of what Jesus is saying, he's saying that there's each of us needs to submit ourselves, lower ourselves to the same level as someone who is a servant. That's what it really is all about. And then those who want to be lording their power over others are not following the way of Jesus. It's those who submit 
themselves. Those who push their carts expecting you to move it are not following the way of Jesus. Those who quietly move the cart, maybe they are. I won't say always because I'm talking about myself. Jesus presents a way of being and living that is completely different than contextually what was going on in his world, but is also going on in our world. It's an idea, a concept, that those who want to be first and strive and push and gouge each other out to excel at whatever they're doing and don't look for those who are falling behind, those people will not be first. But it's those people who reach a hand to try and help people move up who come first. He's presenting a reality that's completely different than his world and too often ours. And in this reality, what he's presenting is humility. He's inviting his followers to understand that if they are to be centered, if they are to be following him, They are to live lives of humility. They are to be humble and act in humility. In Jesus' world, it was the first should be first. You would do whatever you can to rise up and be where you want to be. And if you were successful at it, people admired you. Sometimes that happens in our world too, right? Sometimes we look, maybe it's on television, or maybe it's in people we know, maybe it's even in our workplaces or at school. And we see how people will push other people down so that they can excel, so they can rise to the top. Jesus says that's not the way of his kingdom. He has something better in mind. And he embodies it for all of us to see. There's a quote that got used a few years ago, and people attribute it to C.S. Lewis, but it's actually from Rick Warren. He says that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So humility isn't to say, oh, I suck. The worst person ever because I left a cart in the middle of a roadway. Or I'm the worst person ever because, you know, I, I thought something I shouldn't have thought or I did something I shouldn't have done. It's not to degrade yourself. It's not to say you are horrible. In fact, when you do that, it's kind of the opposite of humility. You're still kind of putting yourself in this place to be thought of higher than others, so you kind of reflect in that. But it's actually just to think of yourself less, to not make yourself the primary focus of your thoughts, which is a very difficult thing to do. Because most of us like to think about how things affect us or how what we do will affect others. But humility is to not think about ourselves so much. And what happens when there is a void of thinking So if I'm not going to think about myself, what am I going to think about? Something will fill that void. The trick is to shift your focus from yourself to God. And so instead of thinking of yourself so often or so much, you put your thoughts to God. Focus on what he's inviting us to. And we see that through the person of Jesus. While Rick Warren actually said this in his book, Purpose Driven Life, it's C.S. Lewis, what C.S. Lewis actually said in Mere Christianity was this, a truly humble person will not be thinking about humility, they will not be thinking about themselves at all. 
truly humble person won't be thinking about how they can be humble. They're not thinking about themselves. It's shifting the focus. To be Jesus-centered is to be shifting our focus in such a way that we're not thinking about ourselves so much. This is hard to do, especially when we get reinforced that we should be thinking about ourselves. Culturally, we're kind of at this place where it's all about me again. Does it affect me? How does it affect me? And does it affect me in a negative way that I need to cut it out of my life? If you have a conversation with somebody who maybe is a bit younger, kind of in the the high-ish age, and not all junior high-ish people will be like this, but some that I talk to are, their biggest concern is around what is affecting them and affecting them negatively. They're saying, this shouldn't be in my life. Just get rid of it. Whereas Jesus says, are you ready to take this same cup of suffering that I did? Now, not to pick on junior highs, but I know a lot of people of various ages who think the same way. If something's affecting them negatively, they just need to avoid it altogether, cut those people out of their life, and in some cases, that's the right thing to do, for sure. But when it's a minor inconvenience, maybe not so much. Jesus invites us into a life that says, think about yourself less, don't make yourself the priority. And he modeled this because that's who he is. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Philippi. And in this letter, he writes one of the oldest uh, pieces of the New Testament, actually. Uh, He quotes a basically a creed that people would know and understand if they were followers of Jesus in the first century world. And as he wrote this letter to this church to try and encourage them and strengthen them and help them understand who they are, as followers of Jesus, people who are Jesus-centered. He wrote this in chapter 2 of Philippians. We'll start right at the beginning. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, with any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Think about that paragraph. Think about that statement Paul is making. That if, and now he's talking to particularly to a church, and so we'll look at it in the church context of even us now. A church is much more than the individuals who come on a Sunday morning to a building. A church is actually all of us, in a larger sense, who say, I want to follow Jesus, who I believe Jesus is Lord, whether you go to another church, I don't go to church, but I believe this, right? That's the church. It's more than just Bromley here on a Sunday or another church down the street. He says the church should be like-minded. They have something in common. They should be in one spirit, one love. And because of that, in humility, they should value others above themselves. Not looking to their own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. 
How different would any community be if you didn't look for your own interests to be satisfied or to feel good, but the interests of someone else? You can think about it in the church context for sure, but think about any relationship you have. Think about your marriage, friendships, your work environment. What would it look like if you weren't trying to always get what you want, but you put somebody else before yourself? What would it look like? Paul says this is the way of following Jesus. It's to be humble. And then he goes on, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearances as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That word that gets used there, servant, is the same word that Jesus used in Matthew, doulos. To lower himself. Jesus chose to lower himself. God, the creator of the universe, chose to enter human history in the person of Jesus. Not so that he could be like so many other gods of mythology that would be the gods who lord themselves over, take what they want. But to be the God who comes to be near to us, to lower himself, to die for us. Jesus modeled something for everyone who says they're going to be a follower of his. That he doesn't look for his own interests to be answered, but looked for the good of others. To be Jesus-centered is to serve like him. To not look to have what you want out of a situation, but to recognize that you are invited because of who God is and what God has done for us in the person of Jesus, that he has died and risen again for the forgiveness of our sins, but also to make us whole, to understand us in the fullness of life. That because of that, we can serve others and not just look for our own gain, our own privilege, our own enjoyment, but to lower ourselves and say, How do I serve? Who do I serve? This is the invitation to be Jesus-centered. It's to be more and more like Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus modeled for us continuously in his life, death, and resurrection is that he humbled himself. He didn't try to put anyone else down, but he lifted other people up. He served us. In fact, that's what we are going to reflect and celebrate when we take the bread and cup later that he is a God who died and rose again for us, for all of creation. And it's an invitation to participate in that. So if we are to be Jesus-centered, if we are to be people who say, I want to do that, I want to refocus my life maybe, not so much put it on myself or my own wants or needs or desires, but to move that and go, okay, what is there that God is inviting me into? How do I serve others? i got four questions to share with you that I took actually from this book, Jesus Centered, that this series is inspired on. The first one is this, and the question is, who am I lifting up? And it might sound like a weird question, 
but it has to do with worship. Who am I lifting up? Who is the main focus of your desires, your wants? Is it you? If it is you, then that's not going to be Jesus-centered. That's not going to be humbling yourself. We should put God in the place of priority. And as we put God in the place of priority, we go and lift up God. We raise God to the standard of going, it's not so much about what I want, but what is God doing and inviting me into? So we should ask ourselves, who is the priority for when we act and live and lead? If we desire to be more and more like Jesus, which I think is a very good alternative to what we see in the world around us, we ask ourselves, who am I lifting up? Who is the priority? Where does the focus go? The second question is, who am I serving? Or how am I serving? Sorry. Some of us, maybe not you, maybe me at times, serve somewhat reluctantly. You know you should do this, so you do it, and you're not too pleased about it, so you grumble a little. You know it's the right thing to do, so you go, fine, I'll go do that. It's like we're children and our parents told us to say sorry to our sister or brother. We know we should, we don't want to, so we'll grumble about it, and we go, fine. How are you serving? Are you serving with joy and contentment, saying, this is a privilege, I get to do this? Or do you do it begrudgingly? And on the flip side, are you doing it maybe with joy and contentment, but you're doing it to try and earn something? Are you doing it to go, okay, this is going to make me a better person? When we serve, it should be out of a centered understanding of the love of God for us. When we do stuff for others, it shouldn't be like, well, this is the right thing to do, so I have to do it. Or it shouldn't be, this is how I'm going to get right with God or with other people. It's a place, should come from a place where you feel secured, focused, centered on Jesus. And that love comes out of you in your service. Reflect on how you are serving. Is it to earn something? Is it out of begrudging desires? How are you serving? Also, am I asking for help? The way of humility is to not be the one always helping others, but to recognize yourself that you need help. This is a hard one to do. Stereotypically, we would say, like, yeah, this is hard for men because they never ask for directions and stuff like that. But I know a lot of you ladies don't like to ask for help either. A lot of us don't because we want to be self-sufficient. We want to be the ones who say, I achieved, I succeeded, I did this. But then we need to ask the question, well, who am I lifting up in that scenario? I'm lifting up myself again. I did this. I did this. Who am I asking for help? More often than not, we need more help than we're actually going to ask for. Is there an area in your life that you could use some help? And maybe you've been thinking, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show everybody I can fix this problem with me or I can make this work. But maybe you need some help. Are you humble enough to ask? Will you ask? Am I extending help? Are you willing to help those that ask? Are you willing to serve others? Are you willing to go, well, this is not beneath me because nothing is beneath me. I've lowered myself. I'm a doulos. Who are you helping? Are you extending 
an opportunity to help others. We all need help at various times. Are you willing to be helping others as well? When we desire to be Jesus-centered people, which I think is what everyone should be desiring in the church, we should be looking to see who we're lifting up, how we are serving, if we're actually humbling ourselves to ask for help when we need it, and also extending help to those who need it. Not because it'll make us look good, not because it's a great photo opportunity, but because we love Jesus, and we know he loves us. As a church, we get to celebrate this God who loves us. And one of the ways we celebrate that is through this table forming. And this table is a reflection and a reminder of what it meant that Jesus lowered himself and gave himself for us. This table is a reminder of the final meal he shared with his closest followers. And as we celebrate this, we do this in an open community. So if you are someone who says, I follow Jesus, you are welcome to join in this. You don't have to be part of this church. You just have to say, I follow Jesus. But if you're someone who says, I'm not sure about this, you don't have to participate. It's an opportunity to reflect and know and think about what God invites us to.